You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode quattro, quattro of the MXU podcast. That's quarenta e quattro. Oh, sorry. Not four, four, 44. Oh, it's not. It doesn't work like that. No, no. Okay. Your wife is a Spanish uh, translator. True. Spanish translator, interpreter, teacher, extraordinaire. So she'd be very disappointed in my use of... (laughs) Well, she might have a new client. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, man. Good. So we've got a lot going on lately. Yeah, Um, we do. Yeah, the MXU Now and MXU Teams continue to just get bigger and bigger, and we're excited for those of you who've joined us in that. Um, we've just gotten a lot of great feedback and questions and interaction on the Slack channel that's a part of the Teams subscription. So if you guys are interested in uh, building deeper community and connecting with a network of like-minded production folks, MXU Teams, we think, is the best way to do that. Um, we've got some brand new features that are going to be a part of the website in the next couple of months. Um, we've actually, I mean, I feel like we're so much like grownups now because we've I know. hired people. I know we have a developer full-time on our team right now. I never thought I would be an employer of a developer. I know it's crazy, <laughs> but he's doing a great job and is working his butt off to try to get some of these, um, newfangled features on the website. And so we're really excited. Yeah, we really are. And you know what also I'm excited about? What? I'm going to post today in our team Slack channel. We have a grills only channel in there. So we talk a lot yeah, about gear, but we talk about grilling. And last night I was at a friend's house and he cooked the best filet I've ever had in my entire life. Wait, um, restaurants included? Restaurants included. Easily the best steak, best filet I've ever okay. had. And he cooked it on a big green egg. Come on. Yeah. So was it like high heat, fast sear and done, or how did he do it? He did it like medium heat. It was around five or 600 in between there, and okay. they were big fillets. Yeah. And he did like two minutes on each side, all four sides, right? Top, bottom sides. Mm-hmm. And then he took them off and let them rest for like 10 minutes, and then put them back on and finished them out until they hit like, you know, 125, and then let them rest again. Mm-hmm. And he just used the, uh, you know, the big green egg steak seasoning, which it's salt, pepper, and garlic. That's it. Yeah. And some olive oil. My it was mouth crazy. Is, my mouth is literally watering. It was um, nuts. Yeah. I love filet. So, I mean, you know what? We should do that together sometime for um, a big group of people who listen to the podcast and are a part of MXU now. Yeah, you're right. We should do that. Let's plan that. <laughs> More details stay to tuned. come. Yeah. Stay tuned. <laughs> Anyway, um, what's been going on with you, like, audio-wise? We haven't talked about mixing in a while. No, but I have been mixing more. It's been awesome. Um, Because we started services, so we can only have, well, we're only supposed to have 100 people in the room. What's another 400 between friends? What's another 400? Um, So we've added services. So we're doing a Thursday service. And then we're not doing Saturdays yet because church on Saturdays is 
of the devil. No one should ever do that. And yeah, I'd much rather do Thursdays than Saturdays. Yeah. And then we're loading up Sundays. So there's five on Sunday right now. We're about to add a sixth on Sundays, but they're a long day. Yeah. They're like 55 minute services. Okay. So we got a pretty quick turnaround, but with the parking lot being so big, we can actually stage. There's a North and South parking lot on each side of the building. So for one service, they park in the North and then the South is empty. So we can turn around a service in like 15 minutes. Wow. So that's been helpful. So we just stack like eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 o'clock. And then on a Sunday night. And then programming is the same from Thursday to Sunday. Yep. And then we're filming the Thursday. So that goes online. So there's still a day to edit, but they're getting it live with people in the room. Yeah. That's so it's, great. It feels better to me. Um, and then that's what people watch online. And then all day Sunday, same, same programming. So yeah, I've been mixing more because Aaron, our audio director is doing broadcast. Yep. And then, um, I've been jumping in and helping some too. So it's been awesome. So now that you're standing in front of a PA again, what, um, I mean, obviously you haven't been completely away from it for six months, but it's been rare that you've been mixing. So what, um, what's the learning? Like, what are you, what are you hearing? What are you loving? What are you not loving? Well, I think a couple things have happened all at once. So back in May, you and I shot some videos where I took that file from 2012 that, that I didn't suck at. And, uh, we experimented and we, we built a new file and that's on, that's on MXG now. But, I hadn't gotten to use that or some of those principles in in that file in a in a live setting. So the and the so couple that with my, my uh, carpool karaoke lifestyle right now. <laughs> so uh, my daughter is nine and she's figured out how to use Spotify. So I gave her the family Spotify account. So she can listen to music, you know, not Cardi B. She can't listen to Cardi B. Right. But this sounds really familiar, except that mine is just turned 14. But it's the same same experience with same. my house. Right. Yeah. So here's what she does. She gets my phone and she starts playing whatever country pop song. Thomas Rhett is her favorite right now. Mine too. And she listens to... Not mine, my yeah. daughter's. I think it's every... Teenage girl, tween girl's favorite, Thomas Rhett. He's got it. He's got it down. So she plays one verse and one chorus and then skips the next song. Like, we can't ever finish the song. (laughs) Does your daughter do that too? No, she knows every word to the song, though, after the first listen. So she'll be singing along by the second chorus. And so you can't tell if the vocal is his or hers. Yeah. Because she's just all in. Like, it's, it's crazy. So I'm listening to all these country pop songs, and I'm just noticing how loud the vocals are in these mixes. Yep. And then going back to the file we built, I've always wanted the vocal louder in my mixes. Yep. But and now listening to a bunch of churches streaming, I'm noticing how not loud they are. Interesting. Yeah, and I'm like I want people to turn their vocals back up. I wonder if some of that was because the frequency range was more pronounced in front of a big PA, like they could get more of the upper mid thing. And so it sounded louder maybe because of the EQ. I don't know. That's, that's interesting though, that cause yeah, country radio vocal is loud. It is loud, but especially on those Thomas Rhett songs, the rest of the band and the rest of the mix sounds awesome. Oh, it does. 
it's not like you can't hear the drums because no. of the vocal. It's just everything's in the right place, and the vocal is just in your face. So if you turn the volume like all the way off and then turn it like one click up, the f- first thing you hear is the vocal and the snare drum. Right. So they're still the loudest things. Yep. And As they I, should be. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, if people are criticizing my mixes, sometimes I'll say, uh, man, the vocal's loud. And so is that snare drum. And I'm like, great. What's the complaint? Yeah. yeah what's the criticism? What's, what's the problem? <laughs> well, I think, you know, it's it, it's crucial. And I think we can take a lesson from country music in that the vocal is what's telling the story. Yep. Right? And so for for the whole history of country music, the vocal has been notoriously loud because that's what's communicating the story of the song, yep. the heartbreak or the tragedy or the love or the party or the whatever. So the corollary is, gosh, the message of the song in worship music is the most important thing too. So let's make sure that it's out there in front as well. Cause that's, what's going to get people to sing along. It's what's going to inspire people by this lyric, you know, all of those things. And so, um, let's talk for a minute though, about like for guys who might be struggling to, to get back to that vocal front approach, what are ways that we can do that other than just pushing the fader? Yeah. So the way I used to do this was loads of compression and just squeezing everything down, getting the range where there really wasn't any, everything was the same. And then turning that entire thing up. The problem with that though, is that you take away any dynamic range. Right. And so any of the emotional flow or whatever might happen in the soft parts if it's too soft and the vocal is in limiting, then you're turning all of the rest of it up. Yeah. Symbol bleed, PA bleed, background noise, all that stuff comes up. And then you're like, oh, I can't have the vocal that loud. Right. Well, you can have the vocal that loud. You just can't have all the other stuff that loud. Yeah. So sometimes backing off the compression might help. Yeah. So my vocal chain used to be console EQ, maybe a console compressor, and then go to waves and do... Uh, a couple three to four things it could have been in whatever particular order i would change this a dynamic eq an 1176 style and then a limiter after that and then maybe a de-esser which all of those are compressors so that's like four or five compressors yeah so now i'm doing console eq a light console compression so it's not doing much it's like three or four db of reduction it's like three and a half to one Uh uh-huh into an 1176 for that really hard, you know, 7, 8, 10 dB of compression. But yep. I've changed the ratio on that. I'm not doing all buttons in anymore. I'm doing okay. like 12. So that's okay. it's really acting like a limiter. Yeah. And it, you still get the dynamic range in the vocal, but it sounds more natural now to me. So I can get it louder. Honestly, it doesn't feed back as fast and I can get it louder because... With all of that compression on it before, it, it it was picking up like whispers, you know. Yeah. So it's it's been easier to do that. A good thing about the eleven seventy six is that it's really good for fast release. You know, it's it's yeah. a FET it's a FET transistor that's that it's modeling, and so um, with the variable attack and release, you can really get a faster release and make you know make sure that some of that is sort of. It's yeah, a, it's a to me it's a brighter and a faster kind of profile. It's not like it's living in compression yep. so much like the 
like some of the other models do. Yep. So, and then, you know, our stage is big, but everything's kind of close together. So putting the vocalist back on dynamic mics and off of condensers. Oh, there you go. Has really helped. And now that, you know, we've said it a lot before, but that SE V7, I'm still using it. So when we switched to that mic, I don't know how long has it been? Probably two years ago? A couple of years, yeah. I hadn't even thought about switching to anything else because it has that top-end characteristic that the condensers have. But the rejection is really good too. So you're not getting as much cymbal bleed and other stuff from the stage. No. I do kind of want to play around going back to like a Beta 58. Yeah. They just sound so good. They do. That's what Chris would sing on all the time. We tried other things over the years, and we'd always come back to the 58 just because we didn't need any more top end for his yeah. actual voice tonality. Yeah. And so it just it was just a, a workhorse, and it just stayed in that sweet spot more than any other mic. The KSM yeah. 9 was too bright. You know, He liked it for a while because it sounded great in his ears. But then as soon as he got off the mic a little bit, it was just, it was hard to control. Totally. So good old Beta 58 was the winner most of the time. Something else I'm thinking about now that we're talking about this, why some of these guys streaming mixes, the vocal could be so quiet. It it could be all the bus compression because they're so worried about getting the volume up and they're trying to limit everything. It could be not just that their vocal fader is not in the right spot. It could be overall compression actually yeah and i it's it's a tough balance because there is that there's that thing of you want to sort of normalize everything but man be careful if you're squeezing it so hard that it that it loses all dynamic range it 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 might work in certain circumstances but especially with the ebb and flow of worship music it's yep. it, if it gets into that huge amount of compression too fast yeah and doesn't ever let go it, it can really be bad in terms of artifacts and stuff so we've been around the block a few times about this conversation about loudness and yep. overall stuff and how to process and all that and i i think we've given it's like everything right you try to give good advice and you try to give best practices but anything taken too far is it can turn into a negative pretty quick so I feel like a lot of this stuff has to be kind of grain of salt. Um, not that you don't do it, but yeah. don't see it as a be all end all. I got to do all of this or it's not going to work. Right. Um, you got to use your ears and you got to, you got to just pay attention to how it sounds when it's coming back out. Um, don't just, don't just use your eyes. You got to listen. Another thing uh, recently is we're sending mixes to A&R guys to approve a record label. Oh yeah. The last for the past year, every second revision, they want less compression on the vocals. Interesting. And I think Hillsong was probably one of the first ones who led the way on that. Even like the live stuff, the vocals got some movement to it. It's not as squashed down as it used to be. Huh. So like they would send a song like, listen to Brooke Frazier's vocal on this. And they're right. It's like, it's got some movement to it. It's it's still compressed and it's tight. But it's real it's real open sounding yeah. relative to just you know, you don't hear it clamping down. No. And if you listen to pop records 5 years ago, 7 years ago, they were just really squeezed. But Thomas Rhett ain't nothing that a beer can't fix. Like it's got it's got some movement to it. Yeah. And my daughter will sing every word. So I know my 9-year-old daughter is like 
singing that and i'm like i don't know maybe maybe <laughs> skip that one <laughs> well then you you go to the next shuffle on spotify and it's luke combs you right. know beer never broke my heart yeah. so it's uh you know variations on a theme <laughs> and little big town the beer the wine the whiskey that's a great song have you heard that song i have yeah it's a really good song i'm gonna need some whiskey glasses that's all i know yes have you heard that song uh, morgan whalen from knoxville oh yeah. my gosh well and <laughs> It's like line them up, light them up, knock them back, <laughs> knock them back. I'm like, what are you doing to my daughter's ears and brain? I know. I should have more control. Pray. Just pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. All right. Well, speaking of loudness in the vocal, I think this is a good segue, actually, because we have a couple of turned down for MXUs. Okay. And I thought we would get started on this episode with a couple of those. And we got these all, actually, this first one came from our MXU Teams Slack channel. So, Gus, thank you for this. Um, This is, we're going to leave this as anonymous as we can. But the writer says, I want you to know how much I appreciate all you do to make things happen around here, even as I know so little about what you actually do. So, word of advice, it's always good to lead with a compliment. If you're going to make a complaint, you know, got to soften the blow a little bit. Um, I can tell you that I am almost enjoying the online worship sessions more than the in-house worship because the online sessions allow me to hear the vocalists with the instruments in support, whereas in-house, the vocalists are usually drowned out by the instrumentation, and if the words were not up on the screens, I would not be able to recognize and join what the vocalists are singing. So, Lee, this person is actually (laughs) sympathizing with your um, issue. Yeah. But the next sentence is the best. Quote, I acknowledge that I am a hearing impaired listener, but even so, it seems as though the guys in the sound booth can dial up the vocalists and dial down the instruments a bit more than they normally do during the in-house worship at times. (laughs) Okay. I may be deaf. I may be deaf, but I know you can turn up the, the vocal. Yeah. And then and then you got to close with the compliment too. It's always nice to see your smiling face on the screen during our online worship sessions. <laughs> I mean, they're trying just the hardest that they can they to are. be to be nice. But the backhanded comment, I acknowledge that I am a hearing impaired listener. It seems as though the guys in the sound booth can dial up the vocalists and dial down the instruments a bit more. <laughs> My gosh. Maybe maybe we should just give everybody AirPods. Ah, oh, please. That would be a disaster in its own right. But this, you know, these comments just give us something to look forward to as we're coming back to in-house live experiences. You know, yep. I know that a lot of us have missed the the comments and the feedback. So this is just to get us all warmed up for what happens when we go back to live. I think people are going to complain more. If you think about it, they're probably, You're probably right watching on TV and they can hear the vocals perfectly clear. Because it's getting its own mix or it's just through the TV speakers. You know, they're not in a room that hasn't been properly treated for, you know, acoustic issues. So there's there's probably no subs in their room. There's probably no. Right. It's not really a full range experience. So that the presence of that vocal is and they can just turn up the TV. Yeah. So everybody listening, you better get great at mixing and get a lot better or turn up the font on the lyrics on the screen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can't hear the vocal. Let's move that to point sixteen, please. That's right. Let's let's get her up to uh, 
where we can get the, the visually impaired version of the, of the font along with the hearing impaired version of the listening. All right. What else you got? Well, there's one, another one here. Um, somebody sent us this through Facebook, but it might be my daughter and her Spotify disease that she now has. <laughs> Dear blank. My name is blank. Myself and four family members will be visiting your church on Sunday, October 11th at the 1045 service. My two favorite worship songs are Waymaker and Sea of Victory. I was wondering if you'd be able to sing these two worship songs that Sunday that we are visiting. I would greatly appreciate it. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? And that was sent. They did that like third week of September. So there's Well, you got to give some advance warning. That's true. Because you know Planning Center, you have to put the songs in three weeks early, apparently. It's true. Yeah. So October 11th, be on the lookout. If y'all want to tune in for uh, Waymaker and See a Victory, that, that that would be great. My uh, my comment to that in the Slack though was, you know, we've always known that the sound guy is the DJ. You know, how many of you have had an experience where somebody walks up and asks you about the pre-roll, you know, pre-service right. music, or asks you to play a certain song or whatever if you're at a conference and playing walk-in music? But now we're actually the set list maker too, so that's good. That's Let me amazing. just get on my talk back real quick and call an audible. Hey guys, um, you know, Mrs. Johnson is in the house this week, so we got to play Waymaker. Two, three, four. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a Bruce Springsteen show where you just hold up signs. That's amazing. Wow. Well, keep them coming, folks. I don't know how much turning down you're having to do for your online uh, experiences or how many complaints you get, but as you are going back to in-person services, Keep the turn down for MXU coming because we love to read the feedback. All right, we got a great guest today, and he yeah, has some uh, some rich history with you, Jeff. He does. Yeah, we'll talk about it a little bit. But um, Todd Fields is our guest today, and he he and I have been friends for a long time, uh, way back in the early days of North Point, and over gosh twenty years worth of history with our families. He's a great leader, great worship leader. Um, and has a great heart for worship and production teams. So I can't wait for you guys to hear what he has to say. Let's get right to it. Well, we are so happy to be joined today by our special guest, Todd Fields. Hey, Todd, how are you? Good to see you guys. Man, Todd and I have a long history together. We basically kind of grew up together at North Point back in the early days of North Point Community Church in Atlanta. Um, Todd and I have personal history as well because our wives were roommates before either of them married either of us, and so <laughs> um, they were in each other. They were in each other's weddings, and actually, my wife wore Carrie's dress in our wedding. So unbelievable, crazy. Yeah, it's crazy history. But man, we're so glad that you're here. But talk about some bias. Yeah, <laughs> Lee's already being left to the side because we've yeah. got all this history. <laughs> Todd and I have the same last name, and I feel like on the opposite team right now. So it's a strong name, Lee. It is. It is. Yeah. I, well, I told I told the guys when we logged on to this call that these are my two favorite Fieldses. So <laughs> you need good. to title this thing something in the fields or something. Yeah, <laughs> to be true. Goofy. Yeah. Where are you from, Todd? Where's your family originate? We're, I'm from the metro Atlanta area, um, okay. a little place called Lilburn near Stone Mountain. But, All um, right. Yeah, I've I traveled quite a bit in my life, but that's home. And we're, we live right now in a little town called Milton, 
near Alpharetta, Georgia, kind of North yeah. Atlanta. And, um, but I, I love it here. Love it in the South. We've lived in California briefly with some sweet people out there at a church called Epic that we helped out for a while, and, but we're in Atlanta now. We're back awesome. home. Yeah. Well, I don't think we're related cause I'm from East Tennessee. So yeah, <laughs> you never know. We probably are <laughs> at some you know? point, some yeah. distant cousin somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. So Todd, for people who don't know your history, why don't you just give us a brief rundown of kind of the story of you're growing up and playing music and then how you got into to leading worship and your role at North Point and just kind of a, a quick yeah, synopsis. I mean, probably like a lot of guys um, born in the late 60s or early 70s, I wanted to be Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> and so I got into just rock music and, you know, took folk guitar lessons and it really started with the love for the guitar. Um, I loved playing guitar. I loved learning guitar. And then before I knew it, I was at a Christian school and they were asking me to sing some songs at a chapel service. And, um, that was crazy, you know, back in the eighties and, uh, when synthesizers were the thing, (laughs) but, um, you know, it was that. And then I intersected with a guy named Andy Stanley, um, who ended up heard of him. Never heard of him. (laughs) He was my youth pastor and Andy, uh, one day, he had just kind of come into the church as the youth pastor. His dad was a pastor. He wanted to put a band together and asked to have auditions. And my parents said, you need to go do that. And I did it. And that's kind of how I got into this whole thing. Um, just at First Baptist Atlanta. And we had this youth group thing called Good Stuff that went on. And um, it was fun. It was fun just to play music and and learn music and you know be part of a community. Um, after I went to Georgia State University and after that, jumped into intern with Andy at First Baptist. And then along the way, um, met a guy named Graham Kendrick, who is in England, a worship leader out there on a mission trip with Operation Mobilization. And I'd never, I didn't know what really worship was. I was, you know, we, we did like kind of these principle based songs that Andy would write. And, you know, we would, we, I guess we would sing choruses, but they really were not cool at all <laughs> back in the eighties in his <laughs> yeah. group. And so I was, you know, when I got over to Europe and saw Graham and these people and he was writing some, you know, shine, Jesus shine was out and the stuff. I was like, what is this? And God just met me there in a pretty cool, um, just experiential, tangible way relationally. And when I got back from that trip after college, I wanted to move to Nashville and be a artist like everybody else wants to do. Yeah. And I had a friend, um, uh, just through an acquaintance named Wes King and Wes had done that. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And, you know, after Carrie and I met, that's a whole nother story. We could take the whole podcast with. It was awesome. She, we've been married almost 25 years, but she was in the youth group too. But all that to say we met, got married and I thought we were supposed to move to Nashville. We ended up not doing that. And as the Lord would have it, Andy was starting this church, um, called North point and, I said yes to being involved in worship with their team. And that's kind of how that whole thing started. Crazy thing is this other guy named Louis Giglio was starting a ministry called 722. It was a singles Bible study for Atlanta singles, which ran for about a decade. So in tandem with North Point launching, Louis was launching 722. And that's guys where my life really just you know, it was providence of God, but just intersected with the whole passion team. And, um, a lot of those artists that are friends now, Nathan and Christy Knuckles, Chris Tomlin, Charlie Hall, 
we were all kind of in the same soup that God was, you know, using in that in the, that relationship between Andy and Louie. So was on staff at North Point for almost 15 years. I was contract before that and uh, uh, came off of staff after 22 years um, a few years ago to work on a ministry I do now called Worship Circle. So that's kind of the five-minute <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> brief <awesome>. version. <laughs> There's a lot that happened in between all of that. Yeah, so... I want to tell me more about Worship Circle, and then I want to go back to the the beginnings of North Point. But yeah, what made you want to start that? What is it? Well, it, I was about forty years old, and North Point had asked me to mentor worship leaders because we were having we were you know starting these campuses, and they needed more worship leaders. So I was the original gangster, so they tapped me, and I started I started mentoring guys. I honestly didn't know really what I was doing. But I did love going to hang out with worship leaders and doing all I could to go through books and and study stuff together and just care for them. And so Worship Circle started, it was really started as a one-on-one Skype like mentoring thing that I was doing with leaders around the country. And um, that turned into, I had all this content. We did this thing called Worship Rocket. And through Worship Rocket, I was interviewing, you know, friends of mine that I hadn't seen in a while, Matt Redman, Kim Walker-Smith, these others. And just, I could see God was doing something in my heart with worship in the church and what is it, who is it, and just trying to take, you know, he's taking me on a journey. And so Worship Circle started when Worship Rocket launched because I had a desire to foster a community online and we tried it out. Christy Knuckles said, I'll try it with you. And um, that was, we're headed into our seventh year. That was um, six years ago. And we now have about 10 mentors slash coaches. And we've mentored over 700 worship leaders from 15 countries in s- almost seven years now. So that's, that's the amazing. that's the brief part of it. But it's really we could talk about it maybe a little bit more, but it, our purpose is for leaders to know they're loved and not alone. And, um, you know, guys, I was so focused on the mission of reaching people for so many years that I didn't, I rarely slowed down enough for God to reach my heart. <laughs> so I was like, the mission, the mission, the mission, right. the service, the service, the service. And I just, I had this encounter with him um, probably right about the time, right before Worship Circle started of just experiencing his love in a way that it was, it was experiential, but powerful. And I, I just broke and I was so tired from doing ministry that I, I just wanted to be with him and I wanted to know him more, not in a striving way or a knowledge way, but just to pause my life in segments throughout the doing of ministry where I would learn these unforced rhythms of grace that Paul talks about that, Eugene Peterson <laughs> translated in the message. But our our hope is really just to get leaders in a safe community online where they can be seen, heard, loved, prayed for, cared for, and uh, make friends for life. So that's what we do. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So let's go back to some of that mission stuff. So you were at the beginning of North Point when they mm-hmm. started. And for people listening that don't know what North Point is, if you're listening to this podcast, that's probably because you like technology and church, and we, <laughs> and we have North Point to thank for that. So, you know, we talk about multi-site church, and you know, 
investing in technology to further the mission of the church. I mean, yeah. North Point, they're the OG of that to me. Yeah. You know, when. Yeah. Even in terms of streaming and yeah. sort of broadcast mixes. And I mean, in the early days, you know, it was video on hard drives that were literally driven from one campus to another during the break between <laughs> services so that the other campus could have the recording of the talk from the first service yeah. from the first campus. I mean, it was it was just crazy what was happening and how fast it was happening mm-hmm. in terms of innovation and technology and you know, integrating everything from, you know, multi-campus strategy to fiber to, you know, streaming to a studio broadcast mix to even just the idea of what modern worship could yeah. look yeah. like and sound like, you know, it's just very innovative at the time. Well, 722, we had a guy named Gary who would record and capture the service with Louie and all of us every Tuesday night. And he would stay up all night preparing it for the internet. <laughs> and then on Wednesday, it would go live. And these college kids from all over the world <laughs> would wait and click on it. We had like thousands of people that would, but they didn't have streaming yet, right? Like yeah. live. So all those technological things that were happening so fast, like we were in the middle of all that because we just had to figure it out, you know? That was even in the early days of DVDs. Yeah. Like it, it was, yeah. there was no streaming. It was, if it wasn't on a disc or a hard drive, you weren't going to be able to <laughs> see it. <laughs> exactly. So you were at First Baptist Atlanta then before. Yeah. Right, so Charles Stanley, yeah. who just retired this weekend, I saw that. That's right. Um, that is not a cutting-edge technological <laughs> church. Great church, lots of rich history in Atlanta, and Dr. Stanley is a legend. Yeah. But talk about what it was like being there, because I, I can probably picture this. I'm just going to read into it too much here, but you, Andy, dreaming up of what church could be like and the things you would want to mm-hmm. do. like. Everyone listening right now, they do that currently. They're like, can you imagine if if things were this way, you know? Yeah. But you got to experience it, and you go and plant a church and do the things that you dreamed of doing. So what was that like? Well, the first thing that comes to mind, Lee, is it was it was crazy because we had a guy that worked with In Touch, Dr. Stanley's ministry, named Obi Sparks, who apprenticed with Tom Dowd. And Ovi worked on the Almond Brothers, Eat a Peach record, Brothers and Sisters record. He was like, he he knew the guys in the band. So we had this like <laughs> legend yeah. wor- working at for Dr. Stanley's In Touch Ministry. So Andy would tap into Ovi and Ovi recorded us to tape. We did a project with our band. I'll never forget him cutting the tape and doing these edits, you know, at yeah. First Baptist Church Atlanta and the In Touch Studios. So, that, Southern Rock meets Southern Baptist. I love exactly. it. Exactly. Amen. <laughs> That's Lord. But uh, it was cool because these guys at In Touch were just, they were cutting edge TV, you know, video, and they were really good. A lot of dear friends from that. But, you know, Andy did, I think when we started First Baptist North, which was the campus that, a lot of people that eventually came to North Point went to, there was kind of this vision and idea of, um, you know, we've kept, we've kept the music kind of the same for all these years. And, you know, he was seeing music change and we all were, and we wanted to be part of just following the Lord in in a way that wasn't quite as locked into that Baptist tradition as 
as it as it was at the time and so it was it was it was fun you know because it was really like hey what can we do that would just cause us to wake up in the morning on a Sunday and go, we get to go do this. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, that's great. You know, and not knowing if it was going to work or not. And I think for a lot of people, it might come as a surprise to know that, um, because a lot of people know Andy Stanley as one of the world's greatest communicators, and he is. And when he talks about leadership or he talks about, you know, the organization, or if he's teaching the Bible, it's amazing. But in those days, he was a great musician as well. And so mm-hmm. he approached a lot of those early days from his understanding of what it would take musically to engage people, just as much as he was using his communication style to engage people. So talk for a minute about the importance of that in his leadership in those early days. Like His being a musician shaped a lot of the production quality and the production capability from the get-go. Well, yeah, it's a, it was a blessing. Um, because he cared about what the music sounded like. He he had a vision for um, what was possible and what could be done with a band and with different configurations of the band. Um, the the flip side of that is he was he he had an opinion, which we all have an opinion. Yeah. So some some of you guys out there and ladies who are listening, you have pastors that are like, hey, whatever, do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. So, but Andy had a, had a vision and cared and oftentimes would, you know, for the most part have great suggestions, but then sometimes it was hard. It, you know, it sometimes yeah. it's a blessing and a curse. Like, you know, I don't ever forget one time I'd tune my guitar down a half step and, um, we started this song at the beginning of the service, uh, or it was an offertory or something. We started and I'd forgotten to put my capo on. So I'm a half step off from the whole band and he literally like walks up on stage while we're playing and just like does the whole cut thing. <laughs> and it's like, Hey, and I love, I love what he did. It was leadership. He said, um, Hey, these guys work too hard for that not to be right. Y'all let's try that again. And he was really covering for me. Yeah. But like a normal pastor wouldn't have heard that. You know, right. If they weren't a musician, like he was keen to tune and, you know, when things were right and it was cool. And, he, and then he would advocate for us, um, always supporting us for songwriting and, you know, if there were equipment needs or that kind of thing, he was a big advocate and a support for that because he knew it was a big deal. Well, and I'll say from a production standpoint, as somebody who has sat in the seat behind a console in that building many, many, many times, mm-hmm. if I could look to the front of the room and see him in the front row yeah, <laughs> head bobbing and you know engaging in worship. I knew that I was doing a good job because I knew that he cared about it, and I knew that he knew right. what it took to get it to sound good. So if he liked the way it sounded, I knew that the mix was yeah. pretty happening. Yeah, and it was great to have that kind of reinforcement and reassurance because a lot of times if the pastor isn't engaged or doesn't care about it, you know, the guy sitting in the chair doesn't really know yeah. how it's translating. So to have that level of support. Um, even though it was a high pressure situation is yeah, still yeah. awesome because you feel like you're a team. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I think it's, it's so good when you have a lead pastor that, that can speak music <laughs> lingo yeah. and that gets it. Yeah. Okay. So the opposite of that, and you, like you said, you're, you're mentoring 700 worship leaders all mm-hmm. over the world. So I'm sure you've run into this, but what happens when the senior pastor isn't like that? 
you know, and especially for the tech team, it can be even more frustrating or it's a, I shouldn't say more, it's a different frustration than the worship team when it doesn't feel like you're a priority. You know, we're in COVID right now and it seems like every church is investing in equipment and Mm -hmm. making broadcast mixes better and and all that. But sometimes that's actually not the case and can be really, really frustrating for worship teams. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, we've, we were called to serve the leadership we're under. And I think we can talk about this more as it pertains to tech teams and worship leaders and all that. But I think trust is a big word. It's an important word. And um, I would just encourage worship pastors to do everything they can to, to work on their relationship with their lead pastor um, and the people that are, they're serving with both under them and over them. But there's got to be that trust there. Um, you know, and it, I think when hearts meet <laughs> and it's not about position and it's not about um, trying to do something to get a better position at the church and you take all that and move it to the side and when hearts connect, the heart of a pastor and a worship pastor, they do want the same thing. And so it just takes some work and some determination Um it's always easier to talk about bad situations and people with other people than it is to go to the person. Oh my gosh. And that's one yeah. of the things that is a cancer, I think, in staff world and church is that I think we 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 want empathy because we get hurt and we can go and say, hey, I can't believe they said this or they did you hear they want to do this? And, um, you know, for the most part it's always best to say, well, we weren't in that meeting or you weren't in that meeting. Um, so let's just do the best we can and encourage each other in the process. But that's just that tightrope we all have to walk of, um, you know, keeping our heart pure before God and, and then working on the, the trust building relationally. And some people in larger churches, it's just harder to grab coffee with your lead pastor. But, um, you know, early on, Andy and I would meet in his office and we'd talk about the, the set and the service. And he would actually help me. And one of the things that I took away that I help leaders with now is he cares about communication. So he had this strength in communication also in music, but he would help me look for spots within the worship set to connect people's hearts to the, the heart of the song, what we were trying to help people see or understand. And I would have never done that if he hadn't pushed me on it. Yeah. But he was a he was a great teacher, and he would pull me aside and say, "Hey, what if you did this or think about this?" And so I learned a lot just from communicating, you know, from his care of communication. But, um, yeah. So when we talk about trust, uh, worship leader, senior pastor Jeff, and I, you know, for five years now, have been saying build trust between the production team and the worship team. Yeah. That's like, if you don't get that right, everyone's lives are miserable. Yeah. You know, so just talk to us from that perspective. I mean, people have only ever heard us talk about it from us going, we got to be the ones to build a bridge from Mm -hmm. the booth to the stage. We want people on stage before sound check saying hi, getting to know people. You know, we've said things like your guitar player is never going to turn his amp down until you know his kids' names. You know, yeah. all of those type of things. But you were just talking about, you know, aligning each other's hearts. And our friend Stan Endicott in some of his talks has yeah. said he's been given some advice to tech guys. And he says, go to your senior pastor and ask him this one question. 
what is it that you want me to know? And the posture of that question is really to get a response out of the senior pastor that you wouldn't otherwise get. So what is that for a worship leader? Like if the tech guy says to a worship pastor, the guy leading the ministry, what is it that you want me to know? What what do you think that is? I mean, honestly, Lee, I think everyone has the desire to be known um, at a much deeper level than their than the task at hand. And so even when we talk about worship leading, I just would love for all of us to back up from that idea and take the idea of singing songs on a stage and just move that over to the side. Like, I think in our minds, because of what we do, we think, well, that's worship. But as you talk about team, as you talk about what, what do you want them to know, I just think we have to look at our approach, <laughs> um, even backing up from the mission. You know, you imagine this because you guys are you guys do this. You come in on a Sunday morning, everything's already in motion, and there's really it's almost like everybody knows what they're supposed to do. You go get on your spot, you do your thing, but in that machine, there's not a whole lot of time for me coming up to you, Lee, and going, "Man, how's your heart today? <laughs> like, how are you yeah. doing?" And there's because there's a schedule and there's planning center and there's a clock going. And so for any team listening, for any worship leader listening, it's like, I think we all have this desire to truly be known at a deeper level than planning center, at a deeper level than the task we're doing or the mission we're trying to accomplish. And so the only way that can happen is if we get together as a team and go, this whole worship thing is so much not about the stage and so much more about our everyday lives with our families and with each other and with our community and so let's look at our approach with our systems and let's try to figure out ways to build in margin where we get to be known and we get to work on that together, not as a have to, like you must do this, but it's always going to be to me the thing that that causes all the other stuff that we do that we call work to be that much more powerful and rich because it's coming from a place of being known among the team. I don't know if that makes sense. That has to happen outside of the heat of the moment, offline. Yes, not in the middle of a sound check. You know, it's just impossible. Like you say, you show up and the it's the wheels are already turning. So it has to happen at a <laughs> an appointed time that isn't in the middle of all that. Otherwise, you'll never be able to do it. Yeah, it's not happening while you're taming a frequency and a mic check. <laughs> it's like, hold <laughs> right. on, buddy, tell me about how did golf go the other day. And yeah. so, yeah. Th- th- when you say that, though, in in high production church culture, it's I, it, it makes me back away even more because I'm like, I'm already tired because we like we do so much around here. Uh-huh. And so when's that going to happen? I need to be with my family. And so I think it's it's as a team just, just kind of letting everybody know that, hey, we really want to know each other and we don't want to swamp everybody with another burden. But what are some creative ways we can get to know each other's hearts in the offline that don't take a ton of time. They're not, you know, and those are great things to pray about and just to go on a journey with and invite people in your team into that conversation because it can be a fun ride, you know, to explore all that. So taking that heart thing to a, to a bit of a deeper level, what would you say to the person listening who is a production leader who might be frustrated because their senior leader or their worship pastor or their executive pastor thinks of them as 
more of like a facilities person who is just responsible for gear rather than a part of the worship team or the worship experience. Like for the person who's in that tension of going, okay, I hear what you're saying about this heart connection, but I don't know how to fight to get even in that conversation because the worship leader and the people on stage might have that, but I'm just over here twisting knobs and pushing faders. So how can I even get invited into that world? That's a great question, Jeff. And for, in my experience, there, and this is just how it is working in a church or a team or whatever, everyone has this thing where we go, man, if we could only do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you have, there's, a, there's a better way to do it, and I know what it is, and we just need to run this up the flagpole and get it approved. Yes. And like everybody deals with that. I mean, I don't know anyone that doesn't. And there's a better way to do rehearsal. There's a better way to do this. And we just need to do that. And so I need to go get approval to do that. And as you're talking, just for me, being office staff for for some years now and, and working with other leaders and just pastoring them, I feel like we've all got an opportunity within our sphere of influence on a team to implement the things that we feel like need to be done or the way the approach needs to take place, we can do that ourselves with the people in our immediate circles. So if the, if the guy, if you're a guy on a tech team and you're a volunteer and you feel like you're being overlooked or your, you know, pastor only looks at you as this, that's a very real feeling. First of all, don't say that doesn't exist because it hurts. <laughs> like acknowledge it, go, man, I wish that, <laughs> I really love this guy. I wish he would every now and then just come and put his arm around me and say, man, you're killing it. Great job today. He may not get that from his senior leader, but he can absolutely give that away to somebody else. Hmm, And over time, what happens is he becomes the culture that he wants to see within the, the people in his volunteer area without having to go, Hey, we need to have a meeting and get this approved. It's like, man, just love on the people. Be, be the person of love that you want someone to be to you and it comes back. It always does. So for me, you know, I, I've made so many mistakes in my tenure at North point. I would do end arounds every now and then, you know, if I, if I, if I saw something that I thought needed to change, I would just go, <laughs> I would either just go do it or I would go above different people and, you know, try to get something approved that I wanted to happen. But, um, I learned over time that, there is uh it's loving to include all people on the team in the process and there's an order to do that um but that's a different whole conversation (laughs) that's good i'm such a problem solver like what you just uh finished there with i oversee worship for all of our campuses with another guy so we've got worship leaders production staff and and a lot of different types of personalities we're leading but I'm not a worship leader and I don't understand worship leaders. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> we're like, a weird crew. <laughs> yeah. And I think worship leaders would probably say tech guys are a weird crew because we're just all different, you know? Yeah. And um, I'm learning that sometimes when a worship leader at campus has a problem and they're telling me about this problem, sometimes they're not telling me so I'll go solve it. Sometimes they're telling me so that I'll just listen and tell them, I I understand that sounds really hard. <laughs> it's like a it's like, it's like our, a marriage. It's like our our wives. Yeah, 
I just want totally. you to understand. So, you, Lee, you need to go, do you want me to empathize with you or do you want me to strategize with you? Like, which one yes. is it? <laughs> yes, exactly. And then another thing I've learned recently, and um, I could probably share this. This guy will never listen to this. <laughs> um, you know how when guys are just hanging out and just talking to each other, half the time we're insulting each other? Yeah. That's just yeah. kind of what guys do. They just give each other crap. Cut on just trash talking. Yeah. yeah. So last week, two weeks ago, we're in a, a sound check and a, a worship leader from another campus was playing guitar and he, he was doing a campus a favor. So he comes across town, he's playing guitar and he's up there playing and it sounds terrible. This guitar, oh, no. guitar tone is just awful and it's out of tune, but he's, he, I know what he's doing. He's squeezing the neck on this guitar so hard. Yeah, that he's been in some strings out of tune and I'm like kind of razzing him about it and he's like hey how's this guitar tone I'm like bro it is so bad it's, <laughs> it's just terrible so that's how it started and yeah. then we we start razzing each other Yeah, and this is over talkback so like the uh, band's there right yeah. so everybody's hearing every word everybody's hearing and it it's real light okay it's real light and he says, well, if you were a good sound guy, you'd be able to fix this guitar. Oh, boy. I didn't think anything about that. I, I'm fine with that, okay? <laughs> I'm the good old boy from the South. Like, we, we just cuss at each other, and it's fine. Yeah. Well, I, So I say back to him, <laughs> well, if you were a good worship leader, we wouldn't have this problem either. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, he's not from the South. Now, it, it ends, we do the service, and we go on. Yeah. Like a couple days later, another peer of mine comes to me and he's like, hey, I'm going to talk to you. He's like, dude, you can't do that to worship leaders. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, you can't tell somebody that they're a bad worship leader. He's like, he already might think he's a bad worship leader. You can't talk to worship <laughs> leaders like this. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, you need to call him and tell him that he's awesome. And that the last time you oh, saw him boy. lead worship, you were texting the other team of how amazing he was doing, which I was. That that was happening. Yeah. So I haven't done this yet, but I'm going to call this guy today and go, hey, I just got to circle back with you. I I shouldn't have made that joke. I know we were poking at each other like with boxing gloves on, but yeah, I probably crossed the line. You're awesome. Check this text message out that I sent to these other people. Oh, my god. So it's just been something I've been thinking about, like, Worship leaders are sensitive, I guess, is the headline. But I, yeah. it, I'm not, I don't say that to label people. What I'm saying is that we're all so different. I mean, I've got yeah. video people that are as sensitive as some people, and I've got worship leaders who are super thick skin, and you know, we're, we're all a bit different. But how we interact with people, it's, just, it's really, really, really important. Yeah, it's very important. And I feel like with what we've been entrusted to do, whether it's play a guitar, sing a note, mix behind a console. That's not who we are. It's what we do. And so there's that thing. I, I even, I'm 51 now, but there's that thing in me that if I get a wrong piece of feedback, and I'm not like looking to be built up and made all that at all, but if anyone, especially my wife, says anything about, Hey, that sounded a little this or that. There's this thing in us, especially as guys. I, women deal with it too, but like, don't criticize me, you know? And yeah, we're sensitive about it. And for me, it trips me up, and I can't even focus on what I'm doing if I get thrown off like that. So, I just got. I, I, I would just say to all the younger people out there, 
um, the more you can dig into knowing God and knowing yourself, yeah. Ap- apart from what you do, mm, the good. the easier it will be, the more freeing it will be on your journey in interacting with team members to give them grace, and then you know just be it's water off your back at that point. Like yep. if if I'm secure in who I am and I'm not relying on my worship leading or songwriting to be who I am in the world or to the kingdom. And I'm just like, that's just this thing that in this life I've been assigned to, to work on. It's not my everything. Then it, it almost frees me up to make that better because I'm not like, it's like the kid walking down the hallway with a, you know, a teacup that's full of hot tea and they don't want to spill it. <laughs> yeah, right. They're like, they're focused on the hot tea. And I learned a long time ago that from a teacher that if you have a hot cup of coffee and you don't look at it and you just walk and go where you're going, you don't spill it. And I was like, just walk, just hmm. breathe, just be, just know that God's got you. Do the best you can. Foster that trust with the team and laugh about stuff. Um, and, you know, Give each other grace. That's great. That's great. Jeff and I talked about this when he was on Worship Circle the other day. Um, just the idea of including including people in in the process and in the feedback and valuing somebody by um, asking for their opinion. Um, just yeah. it's that whole trust thing. Like I, for, for our front of house guys. I would love to know like what kind of music they like to listen to and what what inspired them and what how they got into this and you know what their approach is and what they're looking for and what their dreams are sonically for what we do yeah. and how we can get better but just to always be fostering that banter and that trust and like we're here to make each other better. That's good. Um it's that's a fun journey because cuz Jeff knows I chased guitar tone my whole life especially with acoustic. And I was like, how's this sound? And I just, I cared about it. I cared about it for the people. And I couldn't, I wouldn't know what to do if it wasn't for the front of house engineer. They had my back. And I cared so deeply that people felt the music. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't have any time or breaths or heartbeats to waste on stuff that doesn't sound good. <laughs> so you have my back. I'm going to trust that you're going to be honest about if this tone is wonky or if it needs to change. And I just wish all musicians and worship leaders and engineers could, could understand what's at stake, not to freak them out, but just to care, you know, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. It it makes perfect sense. It's (laughs) that's every sound guy's dream, by the way, is to have the guy on the other side of the microphone caring that much about it because we feel like we do because that's that's as important to us as the song that you're picking you know right and i'll say from from the guy sitting there trying to mix the sound of that guitar you're i mean you and stephen curtis chapman are literally the two acoustic guitar players in my life that it's a joy to mix that instrument. Well, I think because, you know. <laughs> but most because most of the time, yeah, the pickup off of an acoustic guitar is very difficult to make yeah. sound good. And so the fact that I know that you care about, okay, I'm going to change the guitar, I'm going to change the strings, I'm going to change the pickup. We're going to experiment and tweak and keep keep chasing that tone. It's like, man, when 
and a lot of it obviously is the fingers, but you're a great player. And so when I would hear that sound come out of the PA, it's like, oh man, I can sculpt this and I can actually make music out of this rather than just yeah. figuring out how to make it work against the hi-hat. No, it's it's an instrument that's worth the tone and the, you know, the body and all the stuff. It's like, man, it's 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 a pleasure to work with it as an instrument. And so but that only happens yeah. through that back and forth and through that collaboration and through the feedback. So for the for the team who really struggles with that, like what what's the practical like okay, how do you how do you have the conversation? Yeah, I, as you're talking Jeff, my mind's going back to memories I have of of being moved by a band or a sonic experience in my life that I want other people I, I, like it moved me so much that I don't want to waste my life being part of something that doesn't do that as much as possible for other people. I think back to the um, first time I heard Wes King with an acoustic guitar when Dale Parker was mixing audio. We were up in Gatlinburg, Tennessee at the IMAX theater and Wes plugs in a Gibson acoustic through my little Korg A3 we dialed in a slapback delay and Dale had that thing thumping and moving like Wes could hit the guitar and it sounded like a kick drum and we all I was blown away by how much that one guitar and the right dialed in PA moves people's hearts then you fast forward to going to hear Journey or Van Halen or James Taylor and you when you sit and you experience something that feels right it moves your soul Mm -hmm. And I think you can't, like, uh, an audio guy is not going to get a worship player, leader or a guitar player or an instrumentalist passionate about that unless they're passionate about that. So <laughs> the, yeah, the, co the right. common ground is, hey, let's have, let's go on a musical journey together as a team. Like, what, what are your most moving performances that you sat in the audience at and what was going on there? And so you you start just to talk about that stuff. I could talk about it for forever. You know, it's like I love. There's something about when things are right and the art of audio and and sonic space and frequencies and and dynamics and all that with in the hands of the right people. Absolutely is is worship. Some a lot of times without words. So I just think we can't we can't go toward that target unless we're talking the same language and understanding. Um, we, we had this idea a while ago. I think we might, what we might've done it, but go to the symphony together, <laughs> like, like go to somewhere where there's no PA and just get back to the basics of let's just sit and take in something that's beautiful. Yeah. And have fun with it. Go to a, you know, John Mayer. Well, when we have live concerts again, yeah, like, experience things together that move your heart and soul. It's all worship, whether it's, you know, an indie artist or a secular artist or whatever. Um, a friend of mine the other day said, there's no such thing as secular and sacred. There's only, uh, sacred and desecrated. <laughs> so I love that because it, it frees us all up to worship by experiencing music in all kinds of ways and all kinds of genres. And it's all of God. It all is from him, through him and to him. So I think the more as a team, we can dialogue about what moves us, you know, and to have conversations about what it is. What is it about that musically that makes us feel that way? And yeah. what, you know, if it's a rock show, like, was it, what is it about the sound of those drums that just takes my head off and I love it? Or, 
just hits me in the chest or that guitar tone or that vocal, you know, just really get granular about it from a musical perspective. I think it's a huge opportunity. Another thing I'll add, guys, this is just for fun. Steve Fee and I worked a lot of years together, and Steve shared this the other day with our worship circle team. He's like, it's kind of a marketing idea, but you got to keep people's um, mechanisms guessing. Like, you got to change things up to make it interesting and not do the same thing all the time, you know? And I know one night we started a night of worship. I don't know, if Jeff, if you were mixing that night, but um, we just got on a pair of road cases in the middle of the room with no PA and two acoustic PA guitars. Yeah. And we we wanted to do something that would people would go, well, that's different, not because it was cool, but because we wanted them to experience something that was not what they normally experience. Right. And as the set built, yeah. You know, you start with no PA, a couple of acoustics, singing into the air. And they wanted and to it, sing because they realized that it was intention upon them contingent upon them singing it. So they would get louder and yep. we would play and it was all a few known choruses and it was beautiful. And then we got up on stage. And then stage. as the set built, it was like they moved to the stage, then the PA came on, and then the drums came in. And by the end of it, it was like blowing up because of this going from zero literally zero yeah. to a hundred over the course of those few minutes. It was awesome. Well, thanks for my uh, Christmas opener idea there. <laughs> <laughs> Midnight in Bethlehem up to like the yeah. the sacred birth. <laughs> um, there's a guy, uh, Howard Hendricks passed away, but he was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And um, a friend of mine told me this quote years ago that has really helped me. He said, when things are predictable, impact goes down. And I think we get we get predictable is good in science, and we want to be able to repeat things, and we do want to be able to make things consistently good. I just think sometimes as a team we forget that um, the unpredictable thing, it's oftentimes the easiest thing to do could be the most impactful. I mean, Tony Bennett came out at the end of a, a concert, and I love Tony Bennett, at the Fox Theater years ago, like four or five years ago, Carrie and I were there, and he was he went off mic and ended the night with Fly Me to the Moon at the center of the stage. And it was, I mean, everybody was just dead quiet because it was the dynamic thing, and they'll never forget it, like no microphone. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's amazing. Sometimes it's a piano and a vocal, and that's the worship set, and people are like, man, that was cool because we always do a full band. Now you have to get buy-in for that from the whole team and, you know, just cast vision for that. But, um, it's just, there's so many different configurations and tools and it's such a fun journey. If you work at it, um, just, just getting ideas from each other and, you know, building that trust with what could be fun and move people. That's incredible. So Todd, if uh, people want to stay in touch with you or find out more about Worship Circle, how can they do that? Um, Lee, worshipcircle.com is our website. We've actually, um, I don't know when this is airing, but we have a fall term coming up end of October. Um, and we have a few guys spots left. The girls are slam full. But uh, Charlie Hall, um, Matt Marr, myself, Travis Green, Paul Balash, we're all the guy coaches. But uh, to go to the website, you can follow us on at Worship Circle at Instagram or at Worship Circle at Facebook. We're always putting out helpful content and just keeping you guys in the loop and, and loving on leaders. So that's that's what it is, yeah. We invite you to jump in and check it out. We've also got a podcast, the Worship Circle podcast, you can check out. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, I've been around what you guys do, and I just, you know, for anybody who hasn't checked it out yet, 
do yourself a favor, introduce your worship leader to worship circle because they're doing some amazing stuff. And just for next semester, who are the female leaders that are coaches so that we can yeah, hear about you them? You can too. go ahead and apply. There's always a waiting list, but Tasha Cobbs, Leonard, Kim Walker, Smith, um, Rita Springer, Meredith Andrews, and we're, we're working on our first two Spanish groups um, with Christine DeClario and Qualo Zamorano. So those are hopefully going to awesome. launch soon. That's great. Well, Todd, thanks so much for being Thank here you today. Guys. So many gold nuggets of wisdom. And I just, I love the fact that our paths are continuing down this sort of parallel track in how we're trying to encourage yeah. this tribe of, you know, worship leaders and techs and um, just, Cheers to you guys for what you're doing, and we're going to continue to support you and follow you and cross paths whenever we can because it's it's great. Love what you guys do. Thank you. Well, that was great. I hope you guys all enjoyed that. And please go share that with your worship team. Send that to your musicians. You know, there's a lot of stuff in there uh, for everybody, not just not just production guys, not just worship guys, but that definitely resonated with me for sure. I, as soon as we finished that interview, I called one of my teammates and was like, Hey, uh, we got to get the team to listen to this. There's some really good, good stuff in there. So that's great. Just really good stuff. And if you want to connect with Todd, uh, check out worship circle. You can find him on Instagram on the Google. Pretty easy to find. Yep. What are you doing the rest of the week? Um, rest of the week, I'm building some arrows, getting ready for a hunting trip. Nice. Yeah. I'm uh, building arrows for friends. So mine are all ready, but now I'm building all theirs. So today, Jeff Vandergeesen, one of our friends at Amplio, I'm building, uh-huh. him, building him some arrows with the uh, Seattle Seahawks themes. Theme. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. So so is he actually going to be able to shoot anything this time, or are they all going to end up in a tree? Uh, I hope he actually gets something. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Jeff. I'm sure you're listening, and I'm 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 hoping you guys kill a lot of animals. Well, well we're going to eat them, so yes. So they're you know, it's not just wasteful. No, meat is not murder. Right, meat I've is dinner. I've always said, yeah, I've always said, if God had intended us not to eat animals, He wouldn't have made them out of meat. There you go. <laughs> That'll preach. Well, speaking of that, we're going to have some news for you guys probably in our next episode about things uh having to do with that so stay tuned um can't wait to be able to hang out with you guys again in person but until we do thanks for joining us here it's always a blast see you later take care lee bye